Well, good morning, church. Pastor Ray here, and I have the great privilege right now of introducing to you our guest speaker this morning. His name is Pastor Craig Turnbull from Harvest Bible Chapel, Oakville, and Craig is the pastor of the Discipleship Ministries at Oakville, and him and his wife, Catherine, uh, are visiting with us this weekend. And one thing you're going to know about Craig, he loves the Lord so much. That's going to come out very quickly, but he also loves uh, seeing people grow and mature as disciples of Jesus Christ is what he's given his life to. And so you are going to be blessed this morning. So let's give him a warm Harvest Ottawa welcome as he comes forward now. Hey, that's great. Thank you so much uh, for having me here. Uh, just want to say, um, I want to say two things, by the way, before we start here this morning. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that city to the south, uh, Toronto. Uh, sometimes I go out west and people don't, not big fans. Uh, but can I just say that there's a little church in the suburbs, not in Toronto, but a church in the suburbs uh, that I have witnessed on several occasions, hundreds of adults gathering together to pray for this community and this church. So I just want to, uh, before I start, I just want to bring you uh, warm greetings from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville and say that we love you guys. It's so fun. It's, it's, it's it's actually this is real moments like Christmas. You pray, you, you want something to happen. You, you think about it happening and then you actually get here and you see it. So this is the first time I've ever been here and I actually get to see what God has done already uh, in this church. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say uh, as we start today is just how thankful I am for your senior pastor. Uh, when I met Ray uh, about, I, I mean, probably two years ago, I quickly realized I've never met any other human being like Pastor Ray <laughs> in my life. The level of intensity and yet the level of sincerity and love for the Lord was just fantastic. So I'm really, really thankful and humbled to be uh, standing here in his place uh, this morning and to be God's messenger this morning. If you've got a copy of God's word, I would invite you to join me in Mark chapter seven. We're gonna look today at a passage that uh, has, uh, honestly, if you look at it and walk through your regular Bible, oh, and if you need a Bible, we've got wonderful ushers that, that would love to put one in your hand. So just raise your hand and they'll get one to you. Uh, we're going to look at a passage today that may have your head scratching as you walk into it every year in your Bible reading program. You may finish that passage and say, huh, now what did that mean? Uh, so thankfully, we get to walk into it with, with greater depth and study God's word verse by verse. We're going to do that. Uh, here's what I want to tell you by way of preface, though, is that we're going to meet a very desperate person in this story, a person who is clinging to desperation, a person who needs so much. We're going to meet this person in just a moment, and then we're going to meet a hero of the story. And the hero of the story is going to do amazing things uh, as we're going to see through God's word. And my prayer as we leave here today would be you responding to the call from God's word and saying something like, oh God, could you please give me great faith like this? God, could you show me how to live a life with great faith like this? And I want to say by way of outset, before I pray and we get into God's word, uh, I need this in my life as well. I need to be living a life of great faith. I need this for my daily walk. I need this for my kids. I need this as I love and care for my wife. I need this as I, as I step in to care for those around me uh, and, and pastor people in church. You need it for your families. You need it for your spouses. You need it for your children. You need it for your workplaces. You need it for your world. Flat up, straight and true, if you're seeking to live a life following Christ, we need to be living by the kind of faith that we're going to be seeing in the passage ahead of us. Now, before we read, let me pause, let me pray again and ask God's 
for his help and grace in this time. Would you bow with me? God, we thank you for your word, which is living and it's active. It's not dead and it's not sedentary. It's living and it's active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. God, forgive us for the moments when we open up your word and don't expect to be changed by it. Forgive us for the times when we walk into your word and study it academically. God, we want to be led by our hearts this morning as you speak to them. So for that to happen, Lord, for that supernatural work of heart change, we pray and invite that the Holy Spirit would come in this place. He would fill our hearts with a love for you, Lord Jesus and a desire to walk by obedience. God, for hearts here struggling today, for hearts here who are in pain today, who are uncertain today, who are confused today, God, I pray that you would lead them to you, the source of all comfort and all joy. For hearts here today who are excited and and, and stoked to get into God's word, Lord, I pray that you would lead them to you, the comfort and the joy. God, for hearts who are lethargic, who are just here, God, I pray that you would waken and you would lead them to you, the source of all comfort and all joy. God, lead us, please. God, walk us through your word that you would speak to us today by your grace. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so a a quick introduction to our passage as we begin today. Uh, We're going to be talking about faith, like I said, but I'll just say this right at the outset. This is not faith like the prosperity preachers preach. This is not like, okay, if I believe God for what he says, then I can get what I want. That's not faith. It's also not faith like the atheist will say, oh, that's faith. It's the belief in something, pretending to know something, pretending to believe something that you can't actually believe. It's belief without evidence. That's not faith either. The faith that we're talking about is the faith that the Bible describes in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Maybe even on your screen. The, the, this, is the, this is what Hebrews 11, 1 says. It's, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. This is the assurance. I believe it. I know it's true. Even though I can't see it. It's the assurance of things not seen. You know that it is there. You believe it. That's the kind of faith we're talking about today. It's certain conviction about what God has heard and said and done. One writer put faith this way. He said it's this, trust or dependence on God based on the fact that we take him at his word and believe what he has said. Trust or dependence upon God based on the fact that we take him at his word and believe what he has said. Certain conviction of what you have heard about God. Now, into this text we go. And and you know how sometimes when you read uh, a passage in one of the Gospels, let's say Mark, and then you read it again, you you can find the the passage found somewhere else in another Gospel writer. Have you ever seen that before? Where you're like, oh, that story's there in another Gospel writer. One of the other Gospel writers, Matthew in particular, he picks up this story, and the end, the culmination of this story is when Jesus turns to the woman and says, oh, woman, great is your faith. The story that we're about to read is the story of a very unlikely person, a desperate person who turns pro at faith right before our eyes. This is a professional faither. That's not really a word, but let's use it right now. As a professional faither. If if we're about to watch a, a baseball game and she's pitching, you're about to witness a perfect game. 
And here's what we should be saying again as we leave today. Oh Lord, for great faith like this. Let's go through this verse by verse. Mark chapter seven, beginning in verse 24. Finally, God's word, here we go. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and he did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Now let me just set the scene here for you. Let's pause. Remember the two ingredients of our stories that we're going to see. This is not my outline, but the two ingredients, the desperate person and then the hero. Uh, enter the hero, Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. He's in kind of a weird spot. He's in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, I don't know if we have a map uh, for you guys. Yeah, so Tyre and Sidon. If you can see the Mediterranean Sea there, and you see the province of Phoenicia, if you ride up the coast on Phoenicia, you see those two city-states of Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you read the Old Testament at all, you will read that these are often mentioned cities. And they're often condemned cities. These are cities where not much good happens. These are, these are, these are, these are Gentile cities. These are, the, Jesus, is, notice, notice, Jesus is nowhere near Jerusalem. He's nowhere near Jericho. He's nowhere near Bethlehem. He's not even in the province of Judea. He's not even in Israel. So what's he doing here? Well, there's two options. There's really two options. You look back in, 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 in chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, we can kind of see the, the first option maybe. You see that now when the Pharisees gathered to him. Now what's going to happen here is the Pharisees are going to come up to Jesus in the beginning part of chapter 7, and they're going to say to him, hey, Jesus, 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 we have seen that your disciples eat their food without washing their hands. And you can picture them go, mm-hmm, yep, we've seen that. Mm, we got them now, we got them now, we got them now. And Jesus, through the next few verses, he kind of says, as a nutshell, oh, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Unwashed hands is the big thing for you? Unwashed hands? Look at verse 20. He lands the plane, and he says, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. It's not what his hands have. It's not the outside of a person that defiles him. It's the heart. It's the heart. It's the heart. Jesus will say this over and over again in the Gospels. It's the heart. And what ends up happening is Jesus and the Pharisees go at loggerheads. And so here's one reason why Jesus is in Tyre and Sidon or that region, because he just needs a break. He's going to get away from this. He's just got into it with the Pharisees, and he needs a break from people. He's tired of being around people. He's just sick. He needs a break. He needs a vacation. Now, how many of us think that that's the, tr the truth? That's a good answer. Do you ever think that Jesus needs a vacation from you? Have you ever had this moment where you've you crawled out to Jesus, and you think that Jesus answers you? Oh, come on, you again? I have heard from you like three times today. It has been an especially needy week from you, Craig. I need a break from you. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That is never the heart of our God. Come to me, call to me, let me hear from you, says our God. Never, never, never does God need a break from us. So what's he doing there? What's he doing in Tyre and Sidon? Do you know what else happened in Tyre and Sidon with Jesus' ministry? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing even happened within 30 miles of that. So what's he doing here? I'll tell you what he's doing here. He's there to introduce us to an MVP of faith, a woman who has zero business talking to a Jewish rabbi, but who comes boldly. Look at verse 25. We've set the scene. But immediately, now Mark is telling us this is an urgent moment, immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. 
Verse 26, now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now consider what's happening, and I'm, I'm just setting the scene right here. I haven't, I haven't said anything profound so far in the message. Don't worry, you have not missed the outline. Okay, it's coming in a second. But look at the scene. Here's Jesus, who, who looks like he's on vacation, but he's not on vacation. He's out of Israel. He's in a house where he wanted to remain anonymous, the text tells us, but he cannot be hidden. And then he's interrupted, interrupted by this woman who falls desperately at his feet. Enter the desperate person at the feet of the hero. Why is she so bold? Why is she so brave? Why is she running into this room? She has no business being in. Why is she doing this? Because she's a parent. And listen, if your kid is sick, it doesn't matter what you have to do. It doesn't matter how many walls you have to climb over. It doesn't matter how many fences you have to break down. It doesn't matter how many nursing stations you have to pound out. You get what you need to get for your kid. It doesn't matter that this is a Jewish man, a holy man on vacation, so it seems. She runs in and she falls at the feet of Jesus on behalf of her little daughter. Now, did you see that in, 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 in verse 26? Uh, uh, her daughter, it says there in the text, her daughter. That word there behind daughter is actually little daughter. There's a diminutive form of daughter being used. What's that mean? Well, there's, there's, there's daughters and and then there's, there's, there's princesses. If you're speaking Spanish, there's mija and mijita. Little girl. Precious daughter. I'm a dad with daughters. There's a name I call each of my girls that speaks of this. They're my precious daughters. I don't care how tall they get. I don't care how big they get. They're precious. That's the term being used right here. Why is she so indignant? Why is she so brave? Why is she so courageous? Because this right here is mama love on display. She's running on behalf of her precious daughter. And this princess is at the mercy of a demon. Now we can't go into this in detail uh, this morning, but that was a thing back then, and it's a thing today. In fact, just a couple uh, chapters from now, Jesus will meet a, a dad who will run to him and say, uh, please help me for the sake of my little boy. Uh, this demon possesses him and, and throws him down and, and tries to drown him and tries to roll him into the water. So whatever is happening, the demon was trying to destroy the boy and we can assume the same thing is happening with this girl. If the enemy's job is to steal, to kill, and to destroy, well, you can bet that something like that is happening with this little princess. And so there's the pain, there's the hurt, there's the desperation, and she throws herself at the feet of Jesus. So we have now, we have a desperate person at the feet of a hero. Now I love it, all the, all the pieces are in play. Uh, and if the story ended right there, like let's say, let's say Mark kind of dropped his pen and, and took a nap and didn't finish the story, we know how the story's gonna go, right? We read the Bible, you step back, let's say you pause and you're reading, and step back and you go, oh, I know how this is gonna end. I know how this is gonna end. Jesus is going to heal that girl, for sure. That demon has no chance. Jesus is gonna heal that little girl, for sure. That's what's gonna happen. Uh, you and I would be sitting there saying, absolutely, that's gonna happen. In fact, if I could pull up my version of verse 26, it would end something like this. And so Jesus healed that little girl, wow. 
That's how it would end. Oh, yeah. And you'd be like, yep, I knew that's exactly how it was going to go. Because that's who Jesus is. And that's my king. He does that kind of stuff. But if the story ended there, we would miss what Jesus wants to teach us. In fact, spoiler alert, if you look ahead to verse 30, that's how the story ends. She went home and she found the little girl, the little child, lying in bed and the demon gone. But if the story jumped that way, right, we would miss what Jesus is trying to teach us. We would miss the great lesson of faith that's there for you this morning and for all of us. We would miss the story. We would have a story, a great story, of how Jesus saved one little girl, but we would miss how the story is for you this morning and whatever you're going through, you right now. We would miss the most important thing being said. We would miss how to have this kind of great faith in our lives. Now, I believe that God has assembled here this morning, and even though I don't know you, um, I can bank on this 100%. I believe that God has assembled here this morning um, a lot of uh, weak people. No offense. I believe that God has assembled here this morning probably several desperate people struggling with things in their lives, with the struggles in their home, with the struggles in their health and their finances, with the sin that wants to take them down. And there's a heart within you that says, Lord, please help. Please do something about this situation. Please do something with my marriage. Please do something with my work. Please do something with that relationship I have. Please do something with that personal crisis I'm going through. Please help me with my finances. Please help me with my health. I believe that God has assembled Maybe a sampling of that here this morning. I don't know about you, but I want this kind of faith. Uh, The faith of the Syrophoenician woman that we're about to see. And I pray, oh Lord, for great faith like this. And I pray you pray that as well. Oh Lord, for great faith like this. I want to be filled with faith at the feet of Jesus to see God change me and change my family and change my circumstances and to grow me and to move me through this life, holding me, even though this life is filled with so much pain and so much difficulty. Oh Lord, for great faith like this. Now how do I get this in my life? How do I get this great faith? Well, there's a simple equation I want to put in front of you. This is, not, this is not my outline. I'll just say this. This is not my outline, okay? But here, I still have not yet got to, got to my outline. And you're probably thinking, what kind of preacher is this? And he has not given us anything to write down yet. But let me show you this. This is, the, this is the equation I will put in front of you. Blank plus blank equals great faith. And I will tell you this. This is not like some mathematical equation where we can increase the left side and the right side and we'll get the same figure. No. You need the essential ingredient in the first blank. You need the second blank essential ingredient. And then you get great faith. There's no other way to get this. This is the only way you can do this. Nothing else adds up to this. Okay? So both blanks are essential. You miss one. You lose it all. Let's fill in the first blank together. Verse 26. And again, I still have not given you the outline and I know that. Verse 26 Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Look at this. And he said to her let the children be fed first for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And all God's people said, What? What did Jesus say? Did I read that right? Let let the little children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Dogs. And maybe you're reading this with like your 21st century mindset, and you're thinking, well, maybe he means like 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 fluffy white dogs, like home pet kind of dogs, 
No, that's, that's not what it is. This is a subsistence culture. They're scratching out a living. You don't have fluffy white dogs. You eat fluffy white dogs. <laughs> Maybe there's a word for us here in that. No, dog was a, was a derogatory term. It was a, it was a Jewish term used, that the Jews would use for the Gentiles, the outsiders. You're not fluffy and white and cute. You're a scavenger. No matter how you slice it, Jesus has just called this woman a dog. Now that's confusing because it doesn't seem to gel with what we've seen already with Jesus. In chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus has just talked to the Pharisees and said, listen, it's not about what's on the outside that counts. It's not, it's not about uh, the outside and the look of you. It, uh, Jesus isn't racist here. This is not what's going on. So what's happening here? It doesn't seem to mesh with the rest of Scripture that, that, that speaks out against racism. So what's going on here? It's confusing because this doesn't sound like my Jesus. Now, what I want you to understand here is that Jesus is speaking in a mini parable. And the push that you just read, and it's a push, was not a push away. It was a push towards. It was a push that was meant to draw her. He says, I came for the children can't toss their food to the dogs. And then we can picture Jesus leaning in and looking at her. Come on now. Say it. Say the words. Come on now. Say who I am. Call out to me. Show them the kind of faith that you have in me. Declare it now. My little daughter, go ahead. You can picture this. So what does she say? Come on, MVP. Come on, MVP. What does she say? She understands the imagery. She gets. She's a Gentile. Even though she's in a Gentile province, barging in on a Jewish holy man is certainly not okay. And begging her, him to heal her daughter, she understands that what, she, that, that what Jesus is calling her is not a racial slur. It's a theological truth. He's not separating her by race. He's speaking a theological truth to her. The Lord knows this too. And watch. This is where this desperate woman now becomes the hall of faith, faither before your eyes. Oh Lord, for great faith like this. Verse 28. And this is the central verse of the passage, so pay attention. Verse 28. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. See this, see this. Look how great this woman's faith is. The whole passage centers on this verse. She understands what Jesus has just said to her. You're right, Lord. You're right, Lord. I don't deserve to sit at the table. I don't deserve to get food from the table from the Lord. I don't deserve to get anything from you. I know who I am. I'm not worthy to get this. She doesn't, notice she doesn't try and defend herself. She doesn't back away and say, how dare you? How dare you speak to me like this? Do you know who I am? I'm a mom with a sick kid. I can't believe that you would speak to me like this. You're not even in, my home, in your home country. And you would speak to me? She doesn't do this. She doesn't try to defend herself. Because there's no defense. Yes, Lord, she says. I am unworthy to get food from the table of the Lord. And that is the first piece for great faith to live in our lives. And now, the outline. Okay? Bless you. 
Point number one is this. You want great faith in your life? Great faith begins with a deep humility of self. A deep humility of self. He says to the woman, why should I help you? You are a dog. And she says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I am who you say I am. I'm not here because I deserve it. I'm not here because I've earned it. I'm not here because you owe it to me. I'm here because I need it. I'm coming to you, Lord, not because you owe me one, not because I've deserved it and earned your faith. I'm here now because I need you in my life. I'm not here claiming my rights. I'm not here saying I deserve this. I'm here claiming my need, Lord. Please help. I'm no one special. I'm in a constant struggle with myself, my sin, my selfishness. I don't deserve the grace of the Lord. I need the grace of the Lord. And you can do it, she says. Great faith begins with a deep humility of self. She didn't deserve to eat at the table and eat the bread. But you know what? Neither do I. And neither do you. That's the message that this book says over and over and over again. Is that we are not worthy of the grace of God. This is the message, though, that is very, very, very far from what the world is teaching you right now. You walk out these doors, and the world will tell you, you deserve it. You are a value. You are worth. You need the break. You need to do this. It's been long and hard in that struggle. Boy, you've put five years into that relationship. You need to get out. You need to start looking after yourself. You need to not worry about that. You need to take a break. It's your time. You get to decide what's right. That's what the world says to you. But that's not what God's word says to you. In fact, Romans 3, I can think of no other passage that speaks this more clearly than Romans chapter 3. Look at the text. This is raw truth from God's word for the food for the mature. Okay, right now? Romans 3, verse 10, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is upon their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery, and their way of peace they have not known. And all because of verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is hard truth from God's word. I'll just be forthright with you. This is hard truth. But listen, one of two things is happening to you right now. Either you are sitting there getting indignant. How dare he? How dare he claim this? Or you are saying, yes, yes, the Lord and his word is right. I am not worthy of the grace of God. The Lord is using this MVP of faith, I think, to teach us something. Maybe the Lord is leaning this in on you right now. Maybe it's through the people in your life. Maybe it's through the circumstances in your life, the hurts, the pains, the illnesses, showing you what's in your heart, exposing you for who you really are, meaning to humble you, to break you, to crush you, to show you that you are smaller, way smaller than you thought. Understand this, understand that. If this is happening in your life right now, that's a gift from God, meaning to lower you so that you might grab hold of this great faith. And instead of beating your chest and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. I deserve a better life than this. I deserve more than this. You're saying with God's word this morning, you know what, you're right. You're right. I don't deserve this. I am who he says I am. Until God gets us into that place, with that deep humility of self, you won't find the great faith that you need in this life. Here's what Tim Keller said 
He described this passage this way. He said, this is the gospel. If you say, I see, Jesus says, you're blind. If you say, I'm blind, Lord, he says, finally, you see. If you say, I'm all right, he says, you're condemned. If you say, I'm condemned, he says, all right, I took your condemnation for you. Until you can say, I can't do it. Until you can say, yes, Lord, you will not find this great faith. Great faith begins with a deep humility of self. So let's put this in our little simple equation. Um, Here it goes. Little me plus blank equals great faith. Oh, what's the blank? I'm dying to know what the blank is. What is it? Oh, Lord, for great faith like this, for hearts to see this great need is, they know they can't do it. What's the next part? Great faith begins with deep humility. Great faith begins very, very low. A low view of self. But look at the other half of verse 28. Look at verse 28. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What she's saying here in the other half of her statement is very, very critical. Yes, Lord. Part one. I know I'm not worthy to sit at the table. But I'm not asking for a seat at the table. I'm asking for scrap that could fall from your hand. Even just a little bit of you, Lord Jesus, is all that I need. Even just a crumb of the grace that you would have to offer is enough for me. Just give me that. I don't deserve more, but just give me that. You can do that. You see, great faith begins with a deep humility of self. And then this point number two, it launches into a soaring confidence in Jesus Christ. A soaring confidence in Jesus Christ. You can picture the woman saying, as Jesus speaks to her and says, it's not right to give the children's bread to dogs. She says, you're right, Lord, about that. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. I don't deserve to sit at the table. I don't deserve to get food from the table of the Lord. I'm not here because I'm worthy. I'm here because I'm needy. And then part two, I'm here because you are great and glorious. I'm here because you are a generous God. You are a powerful God. I'm here because you can do anything. I'm here because you can forgive. I'm here because you can repair. I'm here because you can reconcile. I'm here because you can carry me even in my weakest days. I'm here because you can heal. I'm here because you can save. Because you are glorious. And all I need is you, Jesus Christ. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? Remember the story of the prodigal son? He takes all of his dad's money or his half of the inheritance. He goes off and squanders it in licentious living. Just does whatever he wants. And then eating at the trough with the pigs, he comes to his senses and says, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread? But here I am perishing with hunger. I know what I'll do. I'll go back to dad and I'll say to him, I am no longer worthy to be your son. But treat me as one of your hired servants. My dad is good. And even though I don't deserve it, my dad is good. And what happens? Deep humility of self meets with soaring confidence in his father. And grace flows through the humble heart. 
What about the prophet Isaiah? Remember in chapter 6, he sees this great vision of God high and lifted up. And, and Isaiah responds in great grief and says, Woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And he's broken and a shattered man. And what happens? The angel takes the fire from the, with his tongs and places them on the lips of Isaiah and says, Your guilt has been atoned for. What happens? The soaring confidence in his God has met with the deep humility in his heart, and grace has flowed down to the humble heart. What about Job? Job, who, who walks through the book of Job and, 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 and grumbles sometimes and complains sometimes and, and then begins to ask, where are you, God? And then God answers him with a series of questions. Were you there when I did this? Were you there when I made this? Do you understand how this works? And, and, and Job is, is, is backing away, understanding in greater and greater degree who God is. And at the end, as the book closes, Job is broken in humility and says, I've heard you by the hearing of my ear, but now my, my eyes see you. And I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And what happens? He sees the grandeur of his God and the weakness of his own human heart. And the grace of God flows down to the humble and to the broken. Look at, look at, look at the woman, verse 29, of our story. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child dying in bed and the demon is gone. The greatness of our God who can heal with his voice from a distance far away. The power of the Lord Jesus Christ has met with the humble heart and grace has flowed down to her. And Matthew adds these words in his gospel, O woman, great is your faith. She gets it. She gets it. That great faith begins with a deep humility of self and it ends with a soaring combination, a confidence in Jesus Christ. That's the combo. That's the combo I want for us today that produces the great faith within our lives. When I am humbled and he is exalted, when I see myself for who I really am, truly am, and see him for who's, who he truly is in increasing degrees, then great faith grows in the gap between. Now let's put that in our equation, simple equation. Here's what it looks like. Little me, big Jesus, great faith. It's just that simple. How do you find great faith in your life? You have a low view of self, a right view of self from God's word, and a huge view of Jesus. Notice too, did you notice too, that, the, that, the, that the, the low view of self that the woman had was the view that found her loved and cared for by her Savior most. And now her real value begins to show. I'm not valuable because of the things I can do. I'm not valuable because of the things I can say or the accomplishments I can have. I'm valuable because God loves me. That's what the heart with great faith finds. It's real value. Both of those blanks, by the way, are essential. You need the little, v, little me and the big Jesus. What happens if you mess it up? Uh, in fact, let me put this chart up for you, okay? So if you mess it up, let's say you've got a little view of, of, of Jesus and a little view of self. That leads you to despondency. That leads you to this place that, that's something like this. This is so hard. The trial is so difficult. The problem's so big. Nothing and no one can help me. I'm lost, I'm gone, I can't get out of this. What about Jesus? Jesus can't even help me. I'm so far gone in this situation. This problem is so beyond him. It's so huge, it's so difficult. No one can help me. And then you begin saying things like, it's never gonna change. It's always gonna be like this. No one sees me, no one cares. Little view of Jesus, little view of self, you get despondency. 
What about, what about a big view of self, little view of Jesus? You get arrogance. Look at me. I'm great. I'm awesome. I can do anything. I have done anything. I'm amazing. What do you think of Jesus? Jesus. 2,000 years ago, some guy who lived and died, maybe rose again. I don't know. Jesus. What can Jesus help me? Look at me. I'm amazing. I can do anything. I can, anything about my, I can just, I'm just so great. That's arrogance. Little view of Jesus, big view of self. What if it's a big view of Jesus and a big view of you? Look at me, I'm amazing. Oh, you're amazing too, Jesus. We're the only two people who've walked the earth who are amazing. Aren't we great? In all seriousness, you know what Jesus becomes to you? He becomes like this role model. I just follow him and follow his teaching, and I can be exactly like I'm amazing, he's amazing, we're amazing together. It brings you in this place of indifference. Oh, I could take Jesus. I mean, he's great like me, maybe. Do you know what's at the root of all three of those? Uh, despondency, that's pride. I, no, not yet, that's slide. not yet. Uh, <laughs> as if you knew it was going to go there. Uh, dis, you know what's at the root of, of, of despondency? That's pride. I think I'm too little, and I think that Jesus is too weak for a response. That's me thinking too much of self. That's pride. What about me in, in, in arrogance? That's me thinking too much of myself. What about me in indifference? That's me thinking too much of self. You know what's at the root of all of those? Pride, pride, and pride. Now, what's the combination? Now, at this part, what's the combination that actually finds big faith in our life? It's this. When Jesus is exalted and I am seen for who I really am. Little me, big Jesus equals great faith. That's how life is lived at the feet of Jesus. Seeing myself for who I really am and seeing Jesus in all of his glory and all of his mercy, that's faith. That's real faith. And with that kind of faith, you will never, ever be let go of in this life. A.W. Tozer put it this way, for true faith, it is either God or total collapse. And not since Adam first stood upon the earth has God failed a single man or woman who trusted in him. That is truth. Not for a single moment. So if I were you, and I am you, because I'm in the same place that you are, we're all alike in this, I would pursue humility. I would seek to humble myself and I would pursue the glory of God. I would pray right now for this kind of faith in my life. I would beg to be at the feet of the Lord to open my eyes and see my lack of faith, to see my pride, to see my arrogance, to the places where I'm indifferent to the Lord or even arrogantly think that I can do it alone in this life and forgotten really how weak and frail I am. I would beg at the feet of Jesus for sight to see the places where I'm despondent, maybe, even and filled with self-pity. And I've forgotten that Jesus can do anything, and can save anyone, can rescue anyone, and help any circumstance. I would ask him for this kind of humility. I would beg him for a renewed understanding of who he is, of his greatness, of his power, of his glory, of his love. Let God be high and exalted, that I be humbled by him and find myself loved by him and cherished by him and carried by him. Little me plus big Jesus equals great faith. Let me pray. God, I thank you for the, for the truth of your word, which is sometimes hard and sometimes challenging to hear. But the two-edged sword, the living, active word of God, cuts and heals at the same time. God, I pray for our hearts now in this place, struggling maybe with the reality of what we've heard or the reality of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would break us, that you might heal us, that you would bring us low, that you might lift us up.
that you would expose things in our hearts, arrogance, pride, self-sufficiency, lack of humility, lack of trust, discouragement, and a loss of sight of you. God, would you expose that in our heart? Would you remind us again of the truth of the gospel? The truth of the gospel is not that I fix myself and get better. The truth of the gospel is that I am broken and weak and frail and need you for everything. Just as I sit here right now or stand here right now and don't cause my heart to beat and don't cause my lungs to fill, Lord, that's the kind of grace I need to fill me today. I need you to be helping me today. I need you to be leading me today. God, that you would grow a great faith in my life. It's either faith in you, God, or faith in me. And I don't like that. I don't like the alternative. In my weakness, I need you. So God, would you humble me, please? Like this Hall of Fame faith. God, would you bring to me a greater understanding of who I am and my neediness for you and my brokenness for you? And then, God, would you be exalted before me in my eyes? that you would be seen to be most glorious, that I would find my joy and my life in you. God, I pray that you would lead us, even as we respond now in in song. I pray that this song also would be a, a moment of worship to you as you hear our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.